Okay, if you would please turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 11 through 18. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Father, I appeal happily to Your mercy, Your grace, the power of Your grace infused by the Holy Spirit in me and in our midst that I would unfold the closing of this glorious letter accurately. And that no one will spiritually sleep through it. But by Your Spirit, You will enliven and You will apply the glorious cross to the souls in here for their good, for the eternal glory of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning as we wrap up the book of Galatians, here's the question that the Holy Spirit is speaking into the hearts of everyone in this room with a still, small voice through this passage of Scripture. How do you walk. How do you worship? How is your personal intimacy and devotion to God the Father by the Spirit because of the cross going? How do you make decisions daily in your life and carry them out in your actions. Simply, how 
are you living your life? In this passage, verse 16, look down at it. This is the only pathway for the recipients of God's mercy and peace. And as for all who walk by this rule, if you don't like rules, you better love this one rule. For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. There is a certain rule in, the, in this life that belongs to everybody who is being saved by Jesus. This rule has been at the core of Paul's point throughout this entire letter. It is the rule of the journey of everyone who is indwelt by the Spirit, or more ubiquitously in the New Testament, for everyone who has been plucked out of darkness and placed into Jesus Christ. The rule is essentially this. If we walk by the Spirit, chapter 5, or the way John put it, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light. We, we have peace with God. To walk by the light is to walk by this rule. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians, as you're doing that, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. The rule is to make decisions in your life daily. It is to walk. It is to put one foot in front of the other and continue to go in the light of Christ. And, I've got to put this in there. Paul made it very clear in chapter 5. It is precisely because believers are walking in the light that the light shines on their remaining sin. And thus, you have this tension that is the Christian life that those who are truly being sanctified in a repentant life of faith in Christ alone, the more they feel unworthy, the more sinful they feel because of the light. That is the tension in the Christian life. We come to know God the Father through the Gospel that is Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes! And therefore we also grieve over our continuous failures to walk perfectly in the light. You remember how Paul put it a few verses earlier? Chapter 5, verse 17. 
Summarize this internal working of Christianity for me, Paul. Okay. Here it is. For the desires of the flesh, your sinful nature, as a Christian, for the desires of the flesh are against the desires that the Holy Spirit is producing. And the desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. Because these two are opposed to each other in order to keep you from doing that which you want to do. There's the Christian life. And so now here we come at the end of this letter. And Paul wants to help the Galatians and he wants to help us look into our own lives to see if the message of Galatians is taking root in our hearts. And that's what he does in verses 11 to 18. And he does it by laying out two heart conditions. One, legalism. The flesh expressed religiously. And the second one is faith. It's humility. It's utter dependence upon Christ's bloody cross alone. And he says, that one, that second one, is the rule to live by. Meaning, that's the Christian life. Those who walk by that rule, you can see them, they are the recipients of God's mercy and grace. I did not say they walk by it in order to get God's mercy and grace. I said you look and watch them walk and you see the fruit of the mercy of the cross in their lives. They belong to Jesus Christ. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. So, let's look at this now in this whole passage. Start with verse 11. Here in verse 11, what's going on is this. Paul has been dictating this letter to his secretary who's writing it down as he goes. And after verse 10, though there's no numbers for Paul, he walks over, he takes the pen out of the secretary's hands, excuse me, and he sits there now and he starts to write with his very unique handwriting, distinguishing mark, this is me, Paul, writing in big, bold letters. Verse 11, see with what, what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then he continues on to describe two diametrically opposed mindsets in religion. Even in the guise of Christianity like the Judaizers. One mindset is sinful 
It's legalism. And the other mindset is good. And it is the one rule that you're to walk by, to live by, to breathe by. So let's look at the first mindset, 12 to 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Okay, if you've been here through Galatians, you know circumcision is it it's at the tip of this poisonous arrow of legalism that the Judaizers are trying to persuade the Galatian Christians. You've got to go on and become Jewish through circumcision and all the rest, right? So he uses it here as the example of hearts that are cross of Jesus belittling. They don't think themselves that way. Ask them. Jacob from Judea, don't you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. He's the only Messiah. Absolutely. Died for sins. And Paul says, their hearts are filled with the evidence they don't know Christ. In their adding to the Gospel, legalistic works in order to be accepted, they mock, they belittle the reality of the cross of Christ. question is, do Gentiles need to be circumcised and thus be converted to become a Jew in order to have the Jewish Messiah save them? That's the question. Do they have to be circumcised to reach eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, and acceptance with God? And Paul answered the question, no! And thus he suffered persecution for it all over the Roman Empire from the Jews in every city. He could have avoided all the trouble. You don't, if that didn't ring a bell with you, Pick up the book of Acts this week and read it through. The answer of the Judaizers, on the other hand, was, yes, they do! And throughout all the cities in the Roman Empire and back home in Judea, they were relieved of being persecuted. They're culturally accepted in their Jewish culture. It caused Paul... Much trouble. Judaizers, they knew they can avoid persecution by this doctrine. So, read it slowly again. Look at your Bible. Verses 12 and 13 and look at the connection between them. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. Paul is attributing motive. 
They're about presentation to other human beings and to be accepted. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. It's those ones who would force you Gentile Galatians to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And he goes on, look at it again. For they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your In other words, the more they can persuade you that that's the way to eternal salvation, become like they are, the more they say, ha ha, that affirms me in my Jewishness. I have something to offer to the equation of being saved, being accepted by God, and it points back at the core to themselves. That's why... The true gospel that Paul preached angered them so much. It said, you, Jew, as much as Gentile, offer nothing to the equation of salvation, of justification, of receiving everything that Jesus was about. Nothing. Let's just restate Paul's words here and just see so often it's a really good thing to do. See if you can say it in other words. Say, do I grasp what he's saying? In verse 12, Paul is accusing the Judaizers that their motive is driven by a fear of being rejected by the Jewish community. They don't want to be rejected and thus persecuted. In verse 13, he says their motive is this love. This You ever love something like a food or, the, the, or, or, or your recre, recreation? Or, I just can't wait to do that. Or I love it. They, they loved being praised. Made much of by other people. And he says, that is what they're after. Don't think this is just a first century Jewish slash Christian problem. It's been a Christian problem for 2,000 years called legalism. That's what he means by they want to boast by using you and in your flesh of getting circumcised. And so what Paul lays out here is that these two aspects of the heart, fear of being rejected and the love of being praised, one can cause Christians to deny clear biblical truth so that the culture will stop calling me homophobic or an exclusivist. Jesus is the only way. I want to be accepted. 
Or it can go the other way and become a fundamentalist legalist. And if you don't do it our way, you don't sing our way, lift your hands or not lift your hands or do this or do that, that way, something's wrong with you. And the more we can persuade to do things our way, the more affirmed we feel. Those two dynamics happening in the human heart, Paul lets us know, they are absolutely deadly. Because both of those mean that a person is not embracing Christ crucified in all of its meaning in the cross. Legalists have to substitute the cross with rule keeping. They don't think they're doing it. They substitute rule keeping here is their means of acceptance. And it's in the place of the cross. Because you can't have both. The cross of Jesus, what it means, absolutely rips away any ground of boasting in anybody. And it leads to one degree or another to persecution in your life. Religious, legalists in Jewish clothes or in Christian clothing reject the cross. Not necessarily in word. I don't believe in the cross of Jesus. No, no, no. Many of them will profess I believe in the cross of Jesus, but at core, Paul's saying they reject it. And they reject it because deep down to them it is. That is the true meaning of the cross is a stumbling block for people who have not been made a new creation in Christ. Therefore, they don't have the grace that they so desperately need to humble themselves before God. few verses back in verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul said, Brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If I preach the circumcision, the offensiveness of the cross has been removed. Think about what Paul's saying. You could proclaim Jesus till you're blue in the face. But if in your church or your family or your huge denomination you have set up laws that undo the cross, Paul says, at the core is because you're offended at the true meaning of the cross of Jesus. And so you turn to religious legalism. Those who truly embrace the cross of Jesus, they can't turn there. They will continue to shun from that because they understand that the bloody, despised cross of Jesus means that I personally am stripped naked 
of all worthiness in which I could boast in anything. I do. Because they know the cross reveals our horrible plight without a Savior. The cross convicts us of the truth of what we deserve. Eternal damnation from a just and a holy and a beautiful God. To be religiously or morally proud at the foot of the cross of Jesus is a contradiction. And when you cherish the cross, I hope you cherish the cross, then you follow Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem in this life. And you're spit upon by the culture at times. And by family, you're laughed at. It's at the core, I think, of what Jesus meant. Besides all, all those who have actually gone to their death in persecution and do so today and this week in this world because they're Christians. But at the core of what He meant when He said, Accept a man, take up his cross and follow Me. He cannot be My disciple. Christians cannot live in order to boast in getting people to praise them for their preaching or their ministries or their Christianity or their parenting or their homeschooling or anything else. They cannot be people who continue on without repentance living to get affirmed and stroke by others for something that they have accomplished. Paul says there's the one mindset that he's been wrestling with and against in the letter. And then he goes to the rule. The rule that believers walk by. It's in verses 14 and 15. But, in other words, on the other hand, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified in the world's eyes. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But the only thing that counts is a new creation. The new creation is the new Paul. That's what he's talking about. If you're in Christ, it is the new you that exists because the Holy Spirit, through the hearing of the Gospel of Jesus, raised you spiritually from 
the dead. And therefore, what's left of the old mindset of sin and legalism, that has been crucified with Christ. The only thing that matters is the new creation. Unpack it, Paul. He did. And so I'll just read it again. I, Paul, the Jewish legalist, Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, as to my halakha, the oral traditions and law, I was righteous. And then something happened. I was made new. I have been crucified with Christ. And I woke up the next day and it is no longer that I who lives or that I walk by, but instead Christ, Christ lives In me, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, that Christ lives in me. And thus, the life that I now live in the body, down here, I live by faith, by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up on the cross for me. That's the new creation. Don't you feel the wording Paul uses in the parallel, what we saw back in chapter 5, verse 6, with chapter 6, verse 15. In 5, 6, remember, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, all these exterior things that one thinks they can do to get accepted with God, they count for nothing. But what counts for everything is only faith, which works itself out in love. Now, jump to chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision, same language, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But, okay, what are you going to say now, Paul? You said faith. Here he just says it differently. But what counts for everything is a new creation. So the new creation, in Paul's mind, he is referring to the crucified Paul with Christ, who nevertheless lives, how? By trusting the Gospel. Which at the core means clinging to the person of Jesus and everything He did for me and purchased for me. Trusting God in the Gospel. The new creation is the new 
life by the Holy Spirit that oh, I tasted and I see that the Lord Jesus in the cross is really, really good to me. He's the answer to true everlasting happiness. And thus Paul wakes up every day and he walks by this rule. And what comes out of that, faith is working itself out through love. And obedience to Christ is the fruit of that faith. So Paul defines the heart of the new creation with verse 14. But far be it from me to boast. It's because I'm new. I used to boast. Read Paul's history. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which cross? His death. The world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to the world. So here's Paul wrapping up the letter. Here's his final shot to describe those persons who are converted to Jesus Christ, who belong to the heavenly kingdom, who have been born again, who are the new creation. And he doesn't use the word faith here. But instead he uses the word boast. Boasting. This is a direct undoing of the intellectualizing of faith in much of American evangelicalism today. This is an undoing of the idea. Here's some content. Here's a message. You don't want to go to hell, right? Okay. All right then. Here, use your mind and believe it. Okay, now you're saved. Say a prayer. Walk down this aisle. Get yourself today. Come on, today you can do it. Make a decision for Christ. And then we'll go have pizza out. Later today, there's going to be a bunch of guys boasting about being Super Bowl champions. It's not going to be like this. Tell me what just happened over the last three hours. Uh, Look at the scoreboard. We just won a game. You believe you won? They're not going to leave the field for an hour. They're going to grab the trophy and run around. They're going to continue to dance with their families and their fellow teammates. That's what they're going to do. Because they will be boasting in that. 
You can't do that without a heart that is directly affected by the content that you won the Super Bowl. And Paul knows that. And he says, it's the test. Do do you boast in being praised or do you boast in a despised, bloody outcast to this world named Jesus? essence of the new creation is not merely a shift in your intellectual thoughts about the person of Jesus. It is that, but it's not merely that. But with that, your heart exalts. It boasts in the cross. And Paul unpacks what he means there by saying, The world, the cosmos, he doesn't mean the cosmos like outer space. He means humanity and all of our civilizations and cultures and what it believes and what it's about. The world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to them. Yeah, we've got to be careful not to sanitize the cross. I mean, that's, that's sanitized. It's a nice cross. Thank you, Jared, for making it. Okay. And we got 2,000 years of church history, and we got crosses hanging around our necks or on a wall. Sometimes it's, it might be helpful to say, let's just use another executional style uh, like, like ISIS. When they take those that they hate and are so despised because they're a Christian or a Sunni, and they put them in a cage and they douse them with fire and let them slowly burn to death. Get a picture like that. That's what he means. The world to me is crucified, and I to the world, and I boast in Jesus' execution. And you think about, what do you mean, Paul? How is the world crucified? I mean, how is the, the world executed by the Roman government in the most hideous, belittling, and degrading, horrific way? A crucified person is an utterly despised, cursed thing. I mean, it would be, it's good to have Roman citizenship because you're not allowed to be crucified if you're going to get the death penalty. Okay? It would be good. That's what it signified to first century people. And Paul says that since I've been made a new creation, I'm in Christ, I've died with Christ, all the world, all the religious world of my Phariseeism and all the cultures of the world, that say, this is what life is about. He says, it, to me, it's like that hideous hanging piece of flesh. That's what he means when he says, to me. That's a subjective thing. 
If you're a new creation, there's something about the world that is crucified in your eyes. To you. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 3.8 with just different words. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ. What's he saying? What is that Pharisee who hated Christianity saying? He's saying, one day, and still up to this day decades later, I was so overcome by Jesus and the message of Jesus that Jesus appeared to me to be a treasure greater than all possible treasures in this world. So that I went home and sold all that I owned and all the pride and arrogance and religious boasting I had and got rid of it so that I could boast. In Christ. So Paul, he's saying, I live for another world. In this present evil world, guess what? It thinks, I, Paul, am nuts. It thinks I've lost my mind. It counts me as despised and worthless and as a, as a crucified person. And so he says, and I am crucified in the world's eyes. In 1 Corinthians 4, 12-13, Paul said it this way. When reviled, he said, here's my life. This is what coming to Jesus led me to. And don't miss Him. Oh, is He ever happy about it. But during this time down here, in this world, when reviled, oh, we're reviled. We bless. When persecuted, oh, we're persecuted. We endure. When slandered, oh, people lie about us. We entreat them. And then this line. We, true Gospel people, have become and he says, and still are like the scum of the world. The refuse, the garbage of all things. Yeah, Paul says, I am crucified in the world's eyes. And I'm glad. And it's because I've died with Christ. Because I've been crucified with Christ. But Paul, when you say, far be it from me to boast about anything except then the cross, the bloody, brutal, despised death of Jesus, 
Really? Don't you say that you boast in your weaknesses? Weren't you forced, Paul, in 2 Corinthians because of a bunch of Christian teachers who boasted in their own flesh and were desperate to draw followers after them? Didn't you say, Paul, that you're forced now to boast about things in your ministry? Okay, without... Paul, isn't it true that, that we can rejoice? It's like, it's a boat. I'm rejoicing in the hope that is laid up before us. Can we not be thankful to God and rejoice in a wife or a husband or in children or in a good job? I don't think, I think the answer, well, he, yes. So let me, let's be clear what I mean is what I think he would say. And, and what he would say is, no, I mean in this other sense, no, I only boast in the cross. It, meaning all of those other things are happening or possible only because of the cross of Christ for me. He's saying the brutal, torturous spitting and whipping and death of hanging meat of Jesus my Savior is the grid through which I look at everything. So yes, I... I Boast or exult in the inheritance laid up when Jesus, whom I'm in Him, He's going to return and everything He is is mine. I rejoice in that precisely because it was His cross that purchased that future. If we have hope and we have joy, we have peace, as Paul would say, in sufferings and in tribulations. I've learned how to be content in all these things. Why? Because he knows all of that peace and ability to persevere is owing to the cross of Jesus. So when he closes out this letter, and he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. Galatians, be done with them. Get rid of them. Don't welcome them anymore. Don't give me any trouble. Get your lives right and walk by this rule. Don't let anyone cause me trouble. Why? Because I, Paul, bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He just boasted. He just boasted about scars he has on his body from suffering physical abuse in the preaching of the Gospel. But he didn't boast in a sinful way. Because it was all owing to Christ's work when Jesus looked at him in his resurrected body and said, I'm going to show you how much you, Paul, must suffer in bringing this Gospel to the Gentiles. It is because Paul knows that not only every good thing, but every 
bad experience will be worked together for His good precisely because of Jesus' cross. Apart from the death of Jesus as our substitute on a despised, bloody cross, Paul knows that he and every sinner gets nothing except judgment without identifying with the despised, bloody cross of Jesus. So that brings me back to where I started at the beginning of this sermon to the question, how do you walk? How are your devotional times daily How do you worship? How do you make decisions over the next seven days on what to do, what not to do? You only have so much money, so much time, and like me, very few talents. What do you do? Based upon what will you make decisions? Simply, how are you living your life? By what principle? By what rule? As for all who walk by this rule that we just saw boasting in the cross, to them, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It's just Paul's way of saying, not all Israel is Israel. You are Gentiles. Get rid of these particular Jews. You're the true Israel. And so Paul has summarized the Christian life as a division between two kinds of people in the world. Those who have been made a new creation and those who have not. There are those who are boasters, prideful, meaning self-exalters who deep down and in various ways does this manifest itself no less even in the attempt to look humble. They deep down yearn for acceptance from others. From those who count in the world or those who count within Christian religious organizations. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But on the other hand, there are those who put their boast in Christ crucified. The self-absorbed, proud people 
fear rejection. Fear persecution from men much more than they love Christ. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only so that they do this in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But on the other hand, Christians or those persons who are in Christ, they expect rejection from the world because of the crucified Christ Jesus in whom they boast. Self-exalters become legalists in religion. Or if they don't go that route, they'll become antinomians. If you don't know that word, it's a historical, theological word to mean, nope, I'm not a legalist. Matter of fact, Christianity means I accepted Jesus and I and you could walk the rest of our lives in darkness, manifesting the fruits of darkness and disobedience in an unrepentant way, but we're saved in Jesus because we asked Him into our heart. It's the same flesh. It produces legalism on one hand or antinomianism on the other. Christians don't go either way. Christians regard the new creation of seeing Christ as more beautiful, as the treasure of treasures, the person of Jesus. Don't miss it. You don't just see forgiveness of sins. Okay, he bought that. Thanks, Jesus. You're missing Christianity. It's what Paul talks about. In Christ. See, it is in the person of Jesus that your justification, your reconciliation, your sanctification, your redemption, your future glorification is all in Him. Be a Christian is that miracle of you embracing Jesus to yourself and all that He represents and purchased. And you live with Him. Those persons don't become antinomians and they don't become unrepentant legalists. They go on boasting in Christ alone. The essence of Christianity to them is this intimate, scriptural, yet personal intimacy with God the Father through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And they recognize, flowing out of that then, is the fruit of the Spirit of chapter 5. Faith working through love. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Oh, I'm so still undone, but it is amazing. I see some fruit and I boast in Christ that it's there. So, in this last shot through Galatians, I say to us all at Sovereign Grace Fellowship, take this new creation of intimacy with the Father. 
crying, Abba, Daddy, on a daily basis as a desperate, undone, hell-bound, without Jesus person. But now you know I'm in Christ who was killed. He was raised from the dead and He ascended. And He sent His Spirit to be in me. Everything Jesus is to you, I am. Take that reality in your walk daily with all seriousness. Live by that rule. Don't live by the desires to exalt yourself in your flesh by cleaning up the outside of the cup in church or religion in order to be acceptable to others. And so, let's go now as we sing, pass out the cup and the bread. We're going to go together. If For all of us who are baptized believers in Jesus, we're going to go to the body and the blood, exalting in the cross of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.